Welcome everyone to today's devotion. We're in Hebrews chapter 5. Before we get started, um, I saw this morning on my Facebook memories today is the one year anniversary when we started, which makes about sense. Um, We missed one day at random, forgot to record one, and then uh, took two days off during the Christmas holiday last year. So um, we started this out um, last March thinking that, you know, we would do this for maybe a few weeks. Um, and uh, you know, flatten that curve and all that sort of stuff. And here we are a year later. Uh, by Friday, we will finish the New Testament. Um, this started out, we, we uh, encouraged our church to read through the New Testament in a year. So when we started this, I just jumped right in the middle of that program. Um, and that's why we're, we've got to finish up Hebrews. We started right in the middle of Hebrews. So hard to believe it's been a year. Uh, we are still not out of all this stuff yet. Uh, people are still suffering from this uh, um, uh, from COVID, but uh, Lord willing, we are starting to see uh, light at the end of the tunnel. With that said, chapter five is a very brief chapter. It's it's really uh, concluding um, or really transitioning from from how he concluded chapter four into a broader conversation that he'll have, particularly in chapter six and seven, and that is that Jesus is a true and better high priest. And so you've seen his trajectory. Uh, Christ is superior to the angels. He's superior to Moses, superior to Joshua. Now he's a superior high priest. Um, now this is significant, particularly to a Jewish audience, because the high priest, uh, all the priests in general, but the high priest in particular, was your representative before God. And so this was a very crucial and very powerful position in ancient Israel. So we see this imagery, particularly in Zechariah 3, where uh, Joshua the high priest uh, is standing before God. It's likely, uh, it's a vision, so it's not something literal, but it's a vision Zechariah has. Um, and, and the image is he's likely in the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement. Um, so, so the high priest was, was, was a very important role in Jewish religion and remains an important role, role in Jewish religion. Um, but the writer here is wanting to show Jesus is superior to that because though he is not a descendant of of Levi, uh, he is a far greater high priest. So notice what he does start in verse 1. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. This is pretty straightforward what he's saying here. He's saying, look, you have the high priest appointed by uh, men, appointed by the Jewish people, to act on their behalf. Right? He is appointed to be a type of mediator. Um, particularly when it comes to, to the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, where he will go into the Holy of Holies once a year, there stand in the presence of God. And, and in order to do that, what he does is he goes through these, these elaborate rituals of cleansing, um, which take days, where he is in isolation, uh, he is cleansed, he is, uh, and he goes through all of this. And then uh, he has to make an offer, uh, he has to make atonement for himself. Right before he can um, uh, cleanse the people and atone for the sins of the people, he has to atone for his own sins. 
And, and the writer of Hebrews says, when you didn't really think about that, consider how weak this high priest that is rightly lifted up among the people, consider how weak he must be, that our best isn't good enough. Right? And that, that's significant for the writer of Hebrews. Our best isn't good enough. Uh, and, and now the good side of it is he can, he's sympathetic with us because he is like us in every way, uh, weak and beset with sin. Um, therefore, he must offer this sacrifice. Christ, on the other hand, we saw the end of chapter 4, is like us in every way except one. He is without sin. And so what we have here are two high priests. We have one who is a descendant of Levi, who, like Levi, is weak and beset with sin. Then there is this other high priest who is not a descendant of Levi, but actually a descendant of Judah, and, and is like us in every way, yet without sin. Thus, he doesn't make atonement for his own sins. Thus, in holy and righteousness, offers atonement for uh, the sins of the people. Now, the way he does this theologically, being that Christ isn't a descendant of Levi, is that he, he goes back and he sees that, well, we have another high priest that is of a different order, and that is the order of Melchizedek. And this is why he quotes from Psalm 110, there in verse 6, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, starting tonight, and it'll probably take us two or three weeks, we're going to follow this trajectory throughout the Bible on Wednesday nights. So uh, you can join us in person or online. Uh, we're going to actually go pre-Melchizedek. We talked about Melchizedek last week, and then we'll, we'll, we'll go from there. Um, but this is, this is central to the theology of the writer of Hebrews. So what you have in the Bible essentially is uh, two priests, if you will, if, if that's helpful. Um, one is uh, of, of a, a genetic line of Levi, uh, beginning with Aaron uh, and his sons and going all the way down. But then there is uh, a more, if you will, for lack of a better term, more spiritual line, um, beginning with Melchizedek. Uh, there is a hint of something like it with Jethro, some debate there. Uh, th there is also, we should look at here, David. David is one who, though a descendant of Judah, not Levi, takes upon the role of a priest, particularly in First Chronicles. This is one of the things we'll talk about in the coming weeks on, on Wednesday nights. Uh, remember that it is David who uh, wears the ephod, most famously when, when he dances, right, and embarrasses his wife. But he will wear it in, in other circumstances as well. He moves the Ark of the Covenant from, uh, um, oh, the term just left me right as I had it, um, or the, the place. But he moved it from where it was to Jerusalem. And, and it's there where, where the Ark and the Tabernacle and eventually the Temple are, are find their permanent home. It's in the house of David. He, he escorts it. He teaches on the law. He does a lot of the things that the priests do. Um, and, and not because he's of the line of Levi, but because he's of the line, if you will use that term, spiritually speaking, of Melchizedek. So the writer of Hebrews is, is looking how the Bible lays this out. He says, yes, there is a priestly line. But Jesus isn't of that line. He's of a greater line, that of the line of Melchizedek, appointed by God, not by men. And he offers not, not he doesn't offer atonement for his own sins, but he himself is the atonement for the sins of others. Um, years ago, I did a series. You you can find it. Um, I think it was called Behold the Lamb, and where 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 it showed the the the, the um, 
tend, or I guess paradox would, would be the term, I'm, I'm not for sure, um, how the Bible uses lamb imagery that is, that is somewhat contradictory. So, for example, in Revelation 5, Christ is represented as both lamb, the lamb of God, and as lion, right? Remember, John in Revelation 5, we've, we've studied that um, um, several months ago, at the end of last year, I believe. Um, he sees this, this lion, and then he sees it as, as a lamb. Um, he'll do the same thing uh, with the shepherd imagery, uh, that the shepherd who leads his flock is also the lamb who dies for his people, right? The same thing is here. Christ is both the one who offers the sacrifice as priest. He is, at the same time, the lamb who is the sacrifice being offered. Now, we'll see that in chapter 6 and 7 in more detail. But, but this is the order that the writer of Hebrews is wanting us to see. So if you go down to verse 10, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So, so it's, it's, he's made very clear, not just in quoting the Old Testament, but stated here. This is of his line. And then this is how he applies it in verse 11. About this we have much to say, um, and he'll go more into it in the next two chapters. And it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. This is clearly coming from the voice of a preacher. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. Um, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. Now, now it's easy for us to, to come here and, and say, you know, preach it, right? But, but remember the context here. The context is he's saying, look, here is Christ who is supreme. And here is your experience right now. It is difficult and hard, but you're wanting to leave. What does that say about your spiritual state? Let, let me give you some insight here. Those who are spiritually immature are quick to abandon the gospel because they have not tasted the deep sweetness of the gospel. They, they, they want Jesus. They don't want much of Jesus. So to look at your relationships, that, that, that the deeper your relationship is with someone, the less likely you are to betray, to hurt, or, or whatnot. So too, the, the more peripheral of a relationship might be. Maybe it's a coworker who who is on the other end of the factory of or the office, right? And they leave, and they oh no, no big deal, right? But if, if it is it is your spouse or or or, or a parent or a sibling or, or a cousin or someone like, it's much more severe. So what he's saying here is that that your 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 temptation to abandon the gospel tells me that although you should be in a spiritual maturity to teach and to disciple and to lead, you're still over here in this area of immaturity. This is a vitally important passage. So he stops this discussion about the high priest and he says, Look, I get I shouldn't have to teach these things to you. I shouldn't have to remind you that Christ your Savior is supreme. Yet here I am. Here I am. So what you need isn't, uh, uh, you know, uh, a pick-me-up, you know, hey, have another go at it. What you need is to take your faith more seriously and to grow more deeply in it. So verse 13, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. Solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. That's the key, isn't it? That we may devour spiritual food so that we may be meat eaters. So too, I would encourage you, and for the last year, we, we have spent every day 
looking at the New Testament, each chapter. I pray that you are growing in spiritual depth so that when difficulties and trials come, you know, like an international pandemic, we would be ready and we would persevere by faith. Hope to see you guys here tomorrow.